are now tuning in to the Mind Body Podcast, where you will go behind the scenes of how the mind of successful entrepreneurs, experts, and true leaders really works. Here you won't just listen, you will understand the guiding principles to create massive change in any area of your life. And of course, this podcast is hosted by the strong, lovely, with the sexy Jewish accent, Lidor Dayan. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, it's Lidor Dayan. And in today's podcast, I have Brett, the glute guy, Contreras. So for those of you who don't know who Brett is, Brett considered to be the number one expert of glute training. He has helped thousands of women to better their butts. So we all thank you for that, Brett. So without further ado, let's begin the interview. What's up, man? Are we, sorry, are we, are we on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, so we start now. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So three, two, one. Uh, let's go. So hey, Brett, what's up? Hey, Lido. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much for being in my podcast. Uh, I'm really honored uh, to have you here. For those of uh, who don't know you, uh, introduce yourself. So uh, who are you? And uh, well, let's see. I've been a personal trainer for 20 years. I've been lifting for 25 years. I have a CSCS for about 15 years, I would guess, maybe. Um, I've, um, I have my PhD in sports science. Most people know me as the glute guy. Uh, I'm really big on glutes. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my information comes from that. A lot of my research is glute-related. My PhD was all, all about glutes. But I actually have a, a research review and uh, I, I stay current with all the popular topics. I'm very interested in hypertrophy, strength, power, speed, uh, you know, sport training, everything. I, I love all types of weight training, and, uh, and I've got all sorts of smart colleagues around the world, too, that I've met when I've gone speaking, and so I've picked up a lot just from hearing them present all the time. So I... I for example, my friend Brad Schoenfeld, I consider him to be probably the most knowledgeable guy on hypertrophy. My good friend Alan Aragon, I think he's probably the most knowledgeable person with sports nutrition or just nutrition in general for nutrition for body comp and, and hypertrophy. And yeah, I have a good life. I, uh, I have a four car garage, which I just converted into a, a, weight, a garage gym. Nice. I call that, I call that the glue lab. Mm-hmm. And I train people out of there. I conduct research out of there. I have an EMG, uh, force plate, ultrasound unit, uh, motion capture. So we, uh, I can do a lot of things uh, out of out of this little garage. So yeah. looks like you you got a lot of stuff that you're doing, and that's awesome, man. Eh? So uh, I want to take you for the beginning. So what uh, made you so driven to fitness and uh, uh, actually building a business out of of it? So, uh, I actually don't feel like I'm the most driven person in the world. It's more just that I'm so curious mm-hmm. and passionate about strength and conditioning. And I think that's, you know, that old Confucius saying, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yes. If I was filthy rich, 
I would be doing this mm-hmm. every day. This is the field I would be doing, and I would probably work. But where, where was the moment that you actually knew that, okay, this is it, this is what I want to do? Well, I, I was actually a high school math teacher for six years. And, really? But I huh? wasn't, you know, teachers don't get paid a lot of money here, so yeah. I was frustrated with the amount of money I was making, but I was scared to leave a, a, a secure job because, you know, what if I failed as a personal trainer? But I, um, I actually, it was kind of two instances. Number one, I, I, in my, during my master's degree, uh, my professor, she said we, we had to do a thematic unit, and I could do it on whatever topic I wanted. I thought I'd have to do it on math because I taught math, but she said you can do it on ice cream if you wanted. So I did mine on, on exercise science. She calls me up and says, this is, I've been a professor for 13 years. This is the best project I've ever received. You need to go into this. I have no doubt you're a good math teacher, but you need to pursue your passion. Life is too short to waste yeah. uh, your talents on. you gotta, you got to go for it, Brett. And that got the, the, the wheels rolling. And then, uh, and then I, so I started personal, I started, I'd always done personal training on the side, but I started ramping up my clients. And I had a teacher friend who came into my, my classroom and she was my good friend and she's like we're talking you know and she's like Brett it's funny you're almost perfect on paper and I go what do you mean she's like well you're you're tall you're handsome you're charming you're funny you're intelligent I guess you're only flawed you don't make any money mm-hmm. and so of course rather than revel in the compliment she just gave me I sat there and stewed over the the um uh, the insult or the, you know, the, the dig at, at how much money I earned. And I sat, sat there thinking about going, you know, I would love to make six figures. And yeah. right now as a teacher, I was making like, you know, like 38,000, uh, you know, uh, after six years of experience and a, and a master's degree. And I just thought, I'm never going to, I can't make a hundred grand as a teacher. I, the district... Scottsdale School District back then topped out at 59000 That's with a PhD and 30 years of experience. So even if I worked 30 years and got my PhD, I would only make 59000 a year. So I decided I need to open up a business, but I didn't know I didn't know anything about business, uh, business like running a business or marketing or anything like that. So I ended up joining Amazon that day. That was like 12 years ago. And I, I signed up for Amazon and ordered two books. One was Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki, mm-hmm. yeah. and it was how to make. It was basically about the different ways to make money, and I loved it. You can make money as an employee, self-employed, business owner, or investor, and uh, and it talked about the pros and cons of all of those. And I realized I want to be a business owner. Uh, I don't want to be an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other book, ironically, was a book about money by Donald Trump, and I didn't know he'd become president many years later. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, so that's when the wheels started turning, and I said, "You know what? I'm going to go for it." And it was funny. I was talking to my mom, and she she obviously had seen this movie, Field of Dreams, too often with Kevin Costner, because in the, in the movie they the field whispers out like, "If you build it, they will come." So she kept saying to me, "Brett, you know you're a good trainer. If you build it, they will come. Get your facility, and you'll have tons of clients." And within three months, I had 55 clients. Wow. I had to hire two trainers. And then uh, my clients kept telling me, Brett, you should spread your methods. You, you have such good methods. You're, you know, we, a lot of them had trained with a bunch of different trainers, and they said, you have the best 
system out of everyone, but it's not popular. you got to popularize it, but I'm sure a lot of trainers can relate. I was training people from noon to 7, writing the programs from 7 to 8 or 8.30, and then working out from like 8.30 till 10. Mm -hmm. And then I'd get home, and I'd barbecue some meat and make some food, and I'd be exhausted. I, I, I'm done for the day. I can't. I don't want to film a YouTube video or write a blog. Yeah. And so I just didn't have any, I said, when, when am I going to do social media and blogging? So I, that, when my facility um, came, when the lease ended, I just decided not to renew it and to start up a blog and start trying to work on my writing and educating people. And that's when I joined everything. And, and at this point, now I'm on, all over. I'm on, you know, Facebook, yeah, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, I have a blog and yeah, and I, I can see that this is very difficult for most trainers that around the world in Israel too. Like um, they they usually have a lot of clients during the day, so they are going from client to client to client. So they don't have enough time to really put uh, time and effort on what's really important, which is social media and really uh, market themselves out there. So what would you suggest uh, how they can still fit this? and still like train and uh, have an income? So, first of all, uh, you know, you have to decide how you want to make your money and what where your skill sets lie. I have, uh, you know, my good buddy Ben Bruno, he trains a lot of celebrities in Hollywood and most almost all of his income comes from just training clients. Mm -hmm. I have other colleagues my colleague Sohi Lee, she does online training, and most of her money comes from online clients. Yeah, she's the uh, the girl that uh, did the flexible uh, uh, diet. No, not the flexible, the uh, reverse diet, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. reverse dieting in a, in a, a counting macros ebook. Yeah. And she has a ton of online clients, so she does online coaching. Um, and then I have myself. I don't make money through training clients or online clients. My money comes from my, my Strong by Brett membership, my seminars, my book royalties, my research review. So I've got a lot of different products out there that, you know, add up. They combine to make a good living. But I have a lot of revenue streams out there. But just it takes a long time to learn your strengths. In, in the beginning, you kind of, it, take, it takes a while. through trial and error. For me, I like speaking. I'm a good presenter. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to get better at presenting, but I'm at, contrary to what most people think, I'm not that good of a writer. People say, oh, I love your blog, or you are a good writer. Uh, the only reason people think I'm a decent writer is because I'll proofread things like 20 times. It, yeah. I'm slow at writing. It takes me forever to write. I have colleagues that can write circles around me, meaning like they could write something in two hours that takes me 10 hours. And so, but... If it's speaking, you know, you don't have to put in the time. And I also have like OCDs to where I'm, I, I don't want to be wrong and I want to make sure I've done all the research possible. So research is a very slow process. Yes. You get, go on a lot of wild goose chases and dead ends and you find yourself six hours later going, what am I doing? I, <laughs> I start off trying to see about this and now I stumbled on this and this and this. And, uh, but what my advice is to try to try to like write down your strengths and write down your weaknesses. You always want to bring up your weaknesses, but you want to your strengths come easy to you. So that's where you want to. There's a lot of ways to make money in the fitness industry. You can be a coach, an online coach. You can make products, all types of products. You can you're on boot 
camps, you can do seminars, you can, um, God, there's so many different ways. Yeah, probably just probably uh, stick to a couple of streams and not really trying to do everything, right? Well, yeah, that's another problem. I see some people, they just, they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. Do a couple things and do them well, and then it's also nice to have some side money coming in that's passive, where you don't have to do a lot of work for it, you know? Yes. It's nice because twice a year I get my checks for my book royalties because I wrote two books. I wrote Strong Curves and I wrote Body Weight Strength Chain Anatomy. And I don't even think about it. And all of a sudden I'll get a check for like, you know, $8,000. And I'm like, oh my God, this is nice. Yes, you know, how'd you like to just get a check for eight grand? You're mm -hmm. uh, uh, out of nowhere. And, and so it takes time, though. People need to be patient. You know, if you want to be popular, educate the hell out of people for many years on end, you know, it's not yeah. going to happen the first year or the second year. It takes a while to get, you know, unless you're really, really talented, then you can, and, and also, a guy like me, I was a trainer for a lot of years. I owned a gym, I invented a product, uh, you know, before I ever wrote an article. So if you're like a 20-year-old guy who's been training for a year and you start blogging, you're not going to have as much expertise as someone who took their time, but... Anyway, you, it's, it's, a, it's always every succeeding in anything, whether it's sports or, or business or in the fitness industry, is a blend of your natural talents and your work ethic. So some people can get by working less by having a lot of talent and vice versa. But what I will say is, like, I mentioned my buddy Brad Schoenfeld and Alan Aragon earlier. Yes. And the three of us all got, like, in college, we got, like, 3.5 GPAs. Um, and like, you know, around like 1,100 on our SAT scores, we're not geniuses, but we are so passionate and curious, and we spend our days studying and reading, and, and we will go to great lengths to know the answer to something. Yes. You know, yes. I, if, it, if it requires, Brad and I have arguments, and, and we'll get into these heated debates, and so we'll do a study together to, do, to get to the bottom of it, and then we, we end up changing our mind. So it's more, so there's so many highly intelligent people out there that waste it that they don't have the passion or the work ethic. So I almost think passion and work ethic are more important, but uh, you, you, there's no way around it. You're going to have to work really hard for a long time. And then, you know, you, you can back off down the road, but the thing is, I'm now at a point where I could back off and it's like really having that hunger inside of you and not just having it for like a, a week or two like you gotta know what triggers you what, what makes that hunger sustainable and uh, when you know this you always like aiming uh, to the top and you have like a goal after a goal after a goal and this is what I think and believe that makes the difference between people's life and between the highest achievers in the world. Yeah, you mentioned goals. It's funny I can, I, how my goals change over time. And it's like, okay, I want to write an article for, for T Nation. Mm -hmm. That was my goal 10 years ago. You yeah, know? that's I a big side. I like this. <laughs> I want to get published on T Nation. And then it was, oh, I want to be featured in Men's Health Magazine. Mm -hmm. And then it was... Uh, you know, oh, I, I want to publish a book. Oh, my God, it would be so nice to be an author. And then, 
you know, I want to get on these lists of like the top hundred most influential people on greatest.com or something. Or uh, And then it changed to like, I want to get a PhD. I want to speak at the NSC National Convention. I want to collaborate with these researchers. And, or I want to deadlift 600 pounds. That was a big goal of mine. But I have goals on all fronts. It's like, I have my own strength goals and physique goals. I remember last year I turned 40 and I wanted to be uh, in my best shape imaginable at 40. Um, and I don't know if I had my best physique to date, but I was bigger than normal and I was strong. I saw so many PRs last year. It was, I worked out so hard. But now it's kind of like I'm 40 years old. I have my PhD. What goals can I have? I'd like to squat 500 pounds eventually, but um, it's... Uh, I hip thrusted 800 pounds last year. I deadlifted 60. Whoa, that's um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I have strength goals. I have physique goals. I have career goals. I have financial goals. Oh, last year I paid off my house right before I turned 40, like two weeks before. That was a major goal of mine. But you have to have goals. Yeah. You have to be, it, it inspires you. It makes you work towards things. And you have, you should have multiple, like, like a, 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 a strength goal or like a work, like a goal related to working out, a goal related to your career, and then like a financial goal. I totally believe in that. And if we're talking like a, a training right now, uh, for a beginner who is just starting lifting, uh, what would you suggest will be a good time to start working like, uh, let's say, between 80 to 95% of uh, one rep max? Because we, we all know progressively overload is uh, one of the main factors to really uh, gaining more strength and muscle. Uh, well, here's the thing. It, it depends on your goals. So uh, this is something where Brad Schoenfeld and I have changed our minds a lot over the years because we used to think you have to lift heavy to get your, to get your best physique possible, to gain as much muscle as possible. You have to go heavy. And what we learned is that uh, uh, we did our own study because we doubted it. So we saw research coming in from Stu Phillips' lab and other people, mm -hmm. and we were we talked about it. We'd be like, you have to go heavy. But, I mean, think about it. Had we ever not gone heavy in our own training and just gone light and, or medium reps? But something like it has to go up, no? Because we look at total volume. Yeah, but it's easier to get volume when you're doing higher reps, you know, like... Three sets of eight is so much easier to do than eight sets of three. Yeah. Um, but but uh, basically, we changed our minds about that through... And now there's like over 20 studies showing that when you do heavy weights versus medium or lighter weights, as long as you go to failure and perform similar volume, you gain equal muscle either way. Now you gain better strength using heavy weights. Uh, and that's that's now that's shown in so many studies. So so it just depends on your goals. If your goals are purely physique based, like you could care less how strong you are. And I know people like that. They're like, I don't care if I bench a hundred pounds as long as I have nice pets. Really? So you say like, if I just uh, put my time and effort in the gym uh, between eight to twelve reps, let's just say, and yep. but I'm getting but and I'm not getting stronger, and I lift no, the same. No. Nope, I still think you need to get stronger, but in that rep range. Ah, so, okay. So yeah, eventually so it's that. still getting stronger, but it's not really matter uh, in what ranges are you? 
Yeah, so you, you and even if you start doing sets of 20, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to go up in those sets of 20, which gets hard. So, yeah. so it doesn't really matter if you're going heavy all the time. Uh, you don't have to do that to get your best physique. If you want to be strong, then your strongest possible, then you have to do a lot of singles, a lot of doubles, a lot of triples, a lot of heavyweight, a lot of work at 90% or above. Um, as to how long it takes for clients to do that, now this is a hard thing because I'm a personal trainer yeah. and I'm, I've been doing it a long time. So when I take clients, I might have them doing a one rep max the second month. You know, like their second month with me, I might have them see, work up to one RM and see what they can do. Because I'm skilled at getting, getting them to that point we ingrain really good form off the bat, and then I, I mix in a variety of reps, and they, 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 they go heavy-ish, and then I'm, by, the, by month two, they're already okay and proficient enough. But people training themselves, they just don't, you know, it's dangerous. They don't, because, you know, they don't have someone there, like a certified strength coach, watching over them saying, no, do this, no. Yeah, because today, like, you see so many programs online, that uh, they they actually tell you like okay you need to be in the four to six uh, reps and most people that are going to do this online courses are people that are really beginning just beginning to train so it's really really uh, I believe it's like uh, very uh, not it's it's not really good for them because they can get injured right I agree that uh, if you have a program and it's mostly beginners and you're saying you work your way up to you know do, do, do four sets of four to six reps or whatever, that, is, that will be dangerous for them. And so I think with my programs, I, I try to get, you know, people doing month one of heavier or light, sorry, lighter weights and higher reps, and then month two might be a little bit more lower reps, but still in the When you say like uh, lightweight, which will be between like 12 to 15 repetitions, yeah, you know, 8 to 12 or up to 15, but it also depends on the movement. Like, um, for example, having someone do chin-ups, say they can just do one and they're, mm -hmm. they're doing their heaviest weight possible, that's not very dangerous, you know? There are exercises where people hurt themselves on and, and ones they don't. You learn this over time. It's like the, the, mo the most dangerous exercise are squats and deadlifts. Most yes. people have suffered an injury pushing squats or deadlifts too hard. Bench press for guys is... And it's also the lifts we care about the most because that's when you're having a bad day or you refuse to admit that you're weaker that day, so you push it too hard. So, yeah, uh, you have to really watch the, your form, and, and, and that's something that takes a long time. And we have to kind of learn through screwing up. I remember back in the day thinking I was invincible because I could get, I never hurt myself in the gym. And then you get stronger, you get stronger, you get stronger with that bad form, and one day it snaps, and you have to learn, oh, I'm not invincible, mm -hmm. my body's not unbreakable. I And have, being injured has a way of teaching you how nice it is when you feel great, when you're healthy. Because when you can't, when you hurt your back, or you hurt your knee, or you, you have pain somewhere, your shoulder, you realize how much you use that in everyday life. And it screws up all your workouts, and now you can't do the hobby that you enjoy the most. You can't even exercise. So a lot of us have to learn the hard way, and we have to. And then we repeat it every few years, and we have to yes, remind. Yes, I know. Uh, I can. I can say for myself because I. I, I had uh, two injuries, like two hernias, 
I had uh, I had them when I did squats. Like I, I tried to go too much heavy, and one hernia was like uh, under my belly, and one was in my belly. So uh, most people, like most guys, have uh, have this hernia. So how how can like guys can prevent this? Like really uh, getting strong stronger in their core. Um, I don't know. Like sports hernias, if they're no. I think they're, they're, we always want to be reductionists and say oh, it's because they need a stronger core. They need more this, they need more that. But usually what you find is it's, um, it's a, a, any injury. Uh, for example, my, my buddies, Jordan Mendeguccia and Matt Rugelli, they came out with this article on hamstring strain injuries years ago. They talked about how people like to say, you need more eccentric strain. You need to be doing Nordic ham curls. You need more flexibility, you need to be doing stretches, and it's the interrelationship of strength, flexibility, core strength and stability, uh, uh, prior injuries, fatigue, um, architecture, anatomy, all these things, and so, you know, you can take one person who has a prior injury, uh, who, who's fatigued, and, you know, these things matter. It's not just strength. You can have someone who's strong as heck, uh, has tons of eccentric strength, and they still can get a hamstring strain injury because maybe they're inflexible. And they're, when you're when you're sprinting, your contralateral hip flexor influences the length of the opposite hamstring. So if your hip flexors are tight, you'll get a bigger stretch on your hamstring, and then therefore more strain. So. Most people don't consider all these little things. In the case of a sports hernia, it could be related to, you know, poor strength. It could be related to mechanics. It could be, uh, you know, related to your pelvic control of your of your pelvis and, you know, your ability to stabilize. It could be related to the adductor. Uh, your your strength balances between the adductors and abductors. Um, it's I guarantee you, it's related to anatomy and, and architecture. How some people are just built very robustly for certain things and other people not. You know, there's people, <laughs> I've seen some dudes who can round back deadlift for 20 years and never hurt themselves. Mm -hmm. um, you, you see some people do crazy stuff, they get away with it. You see other people who can barely get away with anything. So, you know, that's another thing. The genetics of our soft tissue strength are all over the place. I have a buddy who hurt his shoulder doing push-ups he was demonstrating at a, at a, um, for a seminar he was putting on, and he went to show a push-up, and he tore his labrum. Really? Yeah, his shoulder, his shoulder, his shoulder labrum, and um, he's hurt himself so many times. It's really sad because he could be so strong, but his soft, obviously, his soft tissue strength is genetically weak, way weaker than his muscles are. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of factors that, that go into it. And I, I want to take you like. Uh you are also considered to be the glute guy, right? And uh, many girls, especially in Israel, would like to know, uh, like, uh, if they had like three of the most, uh, the top three exercises that they can do uh, to get a bigger glute. Because most girls, like, yeah, I want to walk on my legs, but if I walk it too much, then my quadriceps getting bigger and bigger. But I just want the glute. So, what would you suggest them to do? So, uh, it's funny because most of the industry loves their squats and deadlifts, and they think those are the two best exercises. 
But I don't. I disagree. I would have them doing uh, barbell glute bridges, barbell hip thrusts, and back extensions. Um, and but even within those, the way we do back extensions, uh, uh, we I like to do them off the 45 degree hyper, and you round your upper back and you turn your feet out, and that leads to greater glute activation. Um, so it's not just the exercise; it's the way you do them. I, uh, with the barbell hip thrust. Um, and with the back extension, we like to do just body weight for high reps, three sets of 30 with 40 And this can reps. do the, the, but how can you increase like uh, the the weight and... Progressive overload, so we do weighted back extensions where you hold a dumbbell mm -hmm. uh, like in front of your body. But, but you don't feel like more in the, the lower back there? Well, so the way I just described where you round your upper back and turn your feet out. Mm -hmm. We do that when we're trying to hit glutes, but when we're trying to work all the posterior chain, like the hamstrings, glutes, and erectors, then we keep our feet straight instead of turned out, and we stay in neutral. We don't round our upper back. So when I like to do that. I like two methods. Heavier back extensions, where you hold on the dumbbell and you stay in neutral. Your spine is in neutral, and then you'll feel that in the erectors, you'll feel the glutes, you'll feel the hamstrings. And then the other way, which is mostly glute. <clears throat> um, but then, you know, hip thrust. Some people like, you know, some people love barbell hip thrust. Some people prefer band hip thrust. Some people like heavy weight. Some people hate heavy weight and just like doing high reps. Yeah, like uh, as a like trainer, I, I see like many girls uh, that are trying to do the glute uh, M-race, but because of the bubble are so like heavy and they can't put it there and it's... It's not so comfortable. Right. So that's the, the, a lot of a lot of times they're at gyms and the bench height is too high and it, they don't have a, a thick bar padding to protect the hips and it's it's like you need some to do it optimally. You need to have the right equipment, but most gyms don't have that. So for that reason, some some girls like single leg. Some people like using a dumbbell with single leg. I personally don't like the single leg that much, but I like bilateral. But my point is, there's going to be a variation that. Every person feels with the hip thrust and with most exercises. Like you might like not like squatting, you might not like back squats, but you might like front squats or goblet squats. You might not like conventional deadlifts, but maybe like trap bar deadlifts or single leg RDLs. You can always work the pattern. Every client I've ever trained has done some form of squatting, a form of hip thrusting, a form of deadlifting, a form of you know pressing and pulling for the upper body, and you just find the, the, the exercise and the variations that work best per individual. Yeah, and like uh, I, I can see like many girls uh, who try to, to do this uh, glute ham race, so they use the uh, machine of line leg curls, so they put the, so yep. is this another good way to do it? Yeah, so real quick, just, uh, just for some uh, semantics and clarification, you, you call it the glute ham race. We call the glute ham raise, the, that, the glute ham raise is the exercise performed off the glute ham developer, which is like a back extension machine where you, it's like a body weight leg. Ah, uh, okay, so we, okay, and that is the glute bridge. Well, every coach has their own terminology anyway, but mm -hmm. for the most part, a glute ham raise is, it's like a body weight leg curl performed off the glute ham developer, whereas the, I call it the hip thrust, which you're talking about, where yeah. people get, you raise the barbell and kind of thrust it up in a humping motion. And you're saying some of them are doing it off the leg, the lying leg curl machine, and it works very well for women. For men, 
we can do the whole stack, a lot of us, and we, it's not heavy enough, but for women it's great. The only thing is a lot of times it doesn't allow for much, enough range of motion, but you can put a, an aerobic step out in front of it, so you put your feet on the aerobic step, your back on the, the, the frame of the, the, the leg curl, and then you've got that pendulum, the, the, you know, the moving up and down, and it's arc, it's a nice arc path, and it's a very thick, you know, comfortable, thick padding, and it works very well. So I don't mind if people use the, the line leg curl machine to, to do hip thrust or even the Smith machine to do hip thrust. As long as they're hitting their hip thrust hard, I don't mind too much which variations they employ. Because a lot of gyms they don't have a good place to hip thrust. So mm. people have to resort to the Smith machine. So it's better to do that pattern. You know, even if it's, I don't think it's the best possible way than to just not do it at all. And what would you, uh, what, what do you say, think about like the Romanian deadlift, the stiff leg deadlift? I love, I love both. Um, I actually like the stiff leg deadlift more than the RDL. I have unique ways of coaching them. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, the industry as a whole is not decide, decisive on what constitutes an RDL and a stiff leg. Mm -hmm. You'll see coaches giving RDLs, but they're going all the way to the ground. So, and it's like, well, how's that different than a stiff leg? So, uh, but I do RDLs just below the kneecaps. Even if it's a woman who can wrap her leg around her head and has the greatest hamstring flexibility, I still have them stop just below the kneecaps. And I try to have them sit back as far as possible and keep their chest up. That way they hold their, their spinal extension and, in, and pelvic tilt. And they sit way back to try to get as big of a stretch in the hamstrings as possible. So it's just a, a top half movement where you're teaching the body to sit back and use all posterior chain. Whereas the stiff leg, I let the bar drift out in front of the body just slightly. And I like to take a wide grip on the barbell so that gives you an even better stretch. Sometimes I do deficits where they stand on a plate. Mm -hmm. And you just try to go, you try to, you're not necessarily in the biggest arch possible. You could be in neutral even a little bit slightly rounded, just not much, as an upper back, but then you're just trying to get the biggest stretch possible in the hamstrings, and uh, I love them, but I don't think they're the best glute exercise possible, but what's interesting is I do these glute lab seminars once a month, and I always have people raise their hand, I, I ask them, what's, what, what glute exercise makes you the sorest, what glute exercise gives you the biggest pump, what glute exercise makes you feel like you're squeezing the hardest, you're squeezing your glutes the hardest. Mm -hmm. And I get different answers, and, and ten, typically out of around 20 people, one will say they feel their glutes the most during an RDL. Mm -hmm. uh, one out of 20 people just love it for glutes. But, uh, <laughs> you Yeah, know. I can say for myself, when I do like the stiff leg deadlift, I can be sore for like three, four days in, in my glutes. glutes. In my glutes. <laughs> really? Yeah. You're one of those. So. And I, I, I meet a lot of people who love the single leg RDL. I feel that mostly all in my hamstrings. Yeah. But this is what, why it's important to train a lot of people. Because here's the problem with big jack bodybuilders. They all, and, and, and women who, um, you know, like who are just genetically blessed male and female competitors who, uh, who don't train other people. Think about it. If you never trained anyone, you would just, Tell people you like Lidor, you would tell people you got to do stiff leg deadlifts for glutes, and you think it's the best for everyone because all you have to go by is your your own body. Mm -hmm. 
they don't, these people are not the most credible. They don't have the most knowledge because it's like, take some shorter guy with short legs and short femurs, and he could stay super upright in a squat, and then try to try that with this lanky, like, NBA basketball player. They're going to lean forward like crazy, yeah. and then you'd have the short guy going, you need to stay upright. You need to stay upright. Well, he doesn't, he's never trained any people. He doesn't know that those people can't stay upright. They have to lean because it's their body proportions. And it's the same thing with exercise selection. You have to do a lot of trial and error and uh, uh, just with ourselves to figure out what works best. But when you help other people figure out their best exercises, you know, it's, it's everyone's a little bit different. Everyone likes, you know, ask, take the top 20 women bikini, female bikini competitors and say, name your top three favorite glute exercises and you'll get a different list from everyone. Yeah, um, but, but there, there is some, like, uh, majority, like, most people, like, will uh, benefit from uh, the same stuff, right? Like we Yes, you'll see a common theme, but a lot of variation within that. It's the same with, like, men with their pecs. Mm -hmm. take, take, take all your favorite experts and say, what are your three best favorite pec exercises? Well, some people say the bench press, and other people say bench press is the worst pec exercise. It only works your front delts and triceps, um, and other people say, no, it's how you do the bench press, if you do this way, you know, so, but there are probably subtle differences in, in not just our skeleton, the size and shape of our skeleton, but also our muscles, our muscle architecture and attachment points, where if your muscle is shaped this way and attaches at this point on, on this size and shape of the skeleton, you're not going to feel the, this exercise as much. Versus if you have this different shape, you will feel it. So the problem is we're not going to give people MRIs or like x-rays and start analyzing their x-ray to determine what's best for them. We're a long way away from that. So we have to just do it through trial and error and ask people. But as a trainer, I'm always asking people, do you feel this? Do you like this? You know, I want their input because... Yeah. That's the thing not enough trainers do that. Do not you believe in uh, intention? Like, uh, if you know the guy Ben Pakolsky, also uh, a lot of, uh, he's talking about tension, tension, tension. What do you think about tension? And does this really necessary uh, when you are training? We, we need to feel the, the muscle every time we do exercise? So, Brad Schoenfeld and I are actually conducting the first study on this, the first training study. There's EMG studies already. And these EMG studies show that when you focus on the muscle, mm -hmm. you do get higher EMG activation, mainly with lighter weights. When the weight is heavy, it's like you're just trying to get the weight up. You're going to use all the muscle activation you can. But when it's lighter, if you focus on the muscle compared to not focusing on the muscle, you get way higher muscle activation. But we've never had a, an actual training study that looks at hypertrophy until now. So we're halfway through with data collection. And if things are looking good for the uh, for the focusing on the muscle group, are seeing better gains, but we don't have all the data collected yet, so it could turn out either way. But I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to turn out that yes, focusing on the muscle, creating that mind muscle connection, squeezing it, making sure it activates, that is very beneficial for muscle hypertrophy, and that's what every bodybuilder has always said. You yes. know, almost, almost all bodybuilders will tell you that. Yeah, and uh, I want to take you again to the uh, for the, the, the glutes. Uh, many women love to do all of this isolation exercise, like hip abductors, the 
the donkey kicks uh, and from point uh, your point of view uh, what do you think about all those isolation or body weight exercise are they benefic beneficial for glutes or you can pass on them I think they're very very beneficial um, I used to do a lot more abduction work in my programs but just been doing a lot of EMG work and they don't I used to think they were really good for the upper gluteus maximus so you've got the glute medius but then you also have the upper subdivision of the glute max and the lower and I've been doing a lot of EMG stuff lately and I've just figured out that they're these movements are great for the glute medius but not as good for the glutes now you do get a big burn when you do like the seated hip abduction machine you'll feel a burn in the glutes same with doing all these lateral band walks and things like that um, doing the cable donkey kicks and stuff like that those actually get really high activation so I really like those but it just depends on the on the on the client so some of my uh, some of the bikini competitors I train they love that they love but they love like I can tell you my client Tana she likes doing them um, um, where she's you know bent over more um, my 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 friend Natalia likes to do a kneeling on a bench, um, but they they kind of you got to get them fi to find the best way for their body with these cable kickbacks or cable donkey kicks. I like those a lot, but I like back extensions and hip thrusts even more. Um, but the abduction stuff, I think it works well for building the uh, upper glutes, the upper glute, the glute medius, not so much the upper and lower glute max. But it does give a lot of burn, gives you a pump. Um, so I think that it's good for metabolic stress. And it's, the thing about those is that they're not, you should do those at the end of your workout just to throw in some extra stuff. It can't hurt you. Like, it's not going to, no one wakes up the next day and is like, oh my God, I got, I got beat up so bad from those hip abductions. Mm -hmm. You get beat up from deadlifts and things like that, mm -hmm. heavy weight. Not from those. I, I call it penalty-free volume. It's just some extra stuff you could throw in at the end. Yeah, so those aren't, they, they don't normally you know, change glutes around to where you have someone who just did abduction work and their glutes went from you know, nothing to, to amazing. But they are good to throw in, in my opinion. So it's about like uh, focusing on compounding movements and just doing this uh, as accessory, no? Well, that's a, that term is kind of... Like compound movement, okay. So two joints move at the same time. So squats compound because you got knee and hip extension. But stiff leg deadlifts are mostly hip extension. So is stiff leg deadlift a compound movement? According to according to our terminology, it would not be. You bent your knee, no? Your knee, but how much does it move? For example, the knee moves a little bit during the hip thrust. So does the ankle. So does the spine. You know. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's a very complicated. I wrote I wrote some up for my buddy Alan Aragon's research review once, where I, I wrote about this 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 terminology that we have: with single joint versus multiple joint. Um, think about it. When you do a, 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 a alternating dumbbell curl, you got your elbow joint moving and your wrist is twisting. So that's a compound movement. <laughs> you know, you do a, an upright row. You can do a cable upright row, and you've got the shoulder moving, the elbow moving, the scapula moving. Yeah, um, this is so what they teach us in, like, in all these uh, yeah, the sure. trainers. I think, I think it's very useful, 
But it's like you got to learn all the rules, and then you you gain enough experience, and then you unlearn the rules. Mm-hmm. You have to learn them, but then you realize, well, what's going to be better for your physique? Uh, a supinating biceps curl, or or you know, uh, for a woman's goals, they want glutes mostly. A lot of them, that's the most important thing that they want is glutes. So they need to do hip thrusts, they need to do back extensions, the cable kickbacks. They should also do squats and lunges and deadlifts and stiff leg deadlifts, but also throw in all those other things. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's mostly about the compound movements, it's, but the, 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 the exercises that I named, like hip thrusts, you can get very strong at that. So it's not just about the number of joints moving, it's about the amount of muscle moving. And in the case of barbell hip thrusts, you're activating a whole lot of muscle there. You, you, people think it's just glutes. It's not just glutes. It's actually a lot of hamstring, a lot of adductor, a lot of quad. Uh, so it's like a total lower body exercise. Um, back extensions work the hamstrings, the glutes, the erectors, same with stiff leg deadlifts. So um, it's more about just the amount of muscle being worked and, and not so much about classifying based on single and, multi, and multiple joint or compound movements. And uh, are there any difference between men and women walkouts, like intensity, rep range, and uh, if we look at their ages as well? That's a good question. So just, you know, I, I learned this anecdotally. I learned this as a trainer. And then I, years later, I found a ton of research showing that women experience less fatigue than males do. So this is why men tend to do a heavy set and then rest. three minutes, sometimes five minutes when we're doing squats and, and yes. deadlift mm-hmm. bench. We might rest three to five minutes. Women are, and women, uh, for, first of all, they don't fatigue as much, but second of all, beginner women, they tend to think it's all about sweating and getting their heart rate up as much as possible, so they don't like to rest. So with my female clients, when I first get them in, I have to get them to slow down. They want to go, go, go. They want it to be one giant circuit training yes. session. And I have to tell them, no, you got to rest. Rest another minute. And it's hard for them. But then after like two months when they get way stronger, that's when things start to change and they want the rest. Because they're going for PRs. And they know you're not going to set a PR mm-hmm. if you didn't rest at all. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that solves itself over time just for going, by going for a strength gains. Whereas with men, you got to try to tell them, All right, come on, you're ready. And they're like, no, I can't. You are ready. You're just being lazy. Yes. Um, but but that, that's more like if time is a, a, a factor. So some, some people have three hours to work out and they don't mind. Then you can slow the pace down. But if, you're, if you only have an hour to get in your lift, then you can't rest as much. But it, it depends on goals. But in general, women, I like to do slightly higher reps and more volume. Um, And, and different different exercise selections so like I'm I've very rarely I think once I've had two clients who were women who had like no traps and they actually wanted traps for really? the most part, for the most part women don't want traps you know <laughs> yeah. uh, they're not like I want to do shrugs mm. um, so uh, and they don't care as much about forearms and biceps and triceps and calves they're more about the glutes well actually you Women want, they want to train triceps because they mistakenly believe in, in, in spot reduction. They think that it's going to burn the fat off. Yeah, they yeah. always do like yeah. this. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but that, you have to educate them. But I still think it's important if someone wants to do that, even if they think it's going to 
for spot reduction, you should still give it to them. The reason why is, what's, what's the harm in throwing in a couple sets of tricep extensions or bicep curls or abs? It's not going to do much harm, mm -hmm. but it makes them buy into the program more. It makes them feel good about the workout. They look forward to it. So it's it's not, there's no negatives and there's only plus sides to it. And you should throw that in so they enjoy their program more. But for men, I throw in more, um, you know, more curls, more maybe some shrugs, more rear delt raises, things like that. Uh, so the assistance lifts are a little bit different. So I do a little bit less glute volume with my men but more uh, volume for the other muscles in the body. Okay. But that's just my the way I do it. I, I, I could see a trainer getting asked the same question and saying, nope, our bodies aren't that different. We can train the same exact way. And, you know, that would, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't agree, but it's, 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 you, they, they, women and men can see the great results performing the exact same program. And did you, like, work with women, like, after pregnancy? Yep, I've worked with women during pregnancy, after pregnancy, uh, I've worked with teens, I've worked with under 10 years old, I've worked with over 60 and 70 year olds, I've been doing this a long time, and uh, you know, it's the same principle with everyone, you you give them the, you, you give them the exercise that feel comfortable for them, if they ever say, ah, this doesn't feel right, this hurts, then you don't do it, if it hurts, you don't do it, mm -hmm. you give them stuff that feels good, uh, for for a seven year old, maybe that's a box squat where they are only sitting down, yes. you know, ten inches down, and they sit and they stand back up, and then you gradually lower the box, and you have to do a step up where you hold onto their hands, and they're stepping up just six inches off the ground, yeah. and then you progress it over time, and then all of a sudden they're telling you they can walk the stairs again, you know, so you just gradually make you, know, you start them up with wherever they belong, and then you just make graded, uh, you know, graded exercise. You make gradual improvements and these little PRs over a long period of time, over a two-year period, really add up. Wow. Uh, last and foremost, where can we find you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like I said, I'm all over the place on social media, but the hub is my website, brettcontreras.com. If you don't know, if you can't remember Brett Contreras, just type in the glute guy. And my website will pop up, and that's where you can subscribe to my newsletter. I don't spam people ever. Uh, I send, like, a newsletter out every few weeks and just to say, here's some updates, here's some articles I've written. And that's where, you, uh, on my website, you can find links to my social media channels, like Instagram and and all that. So, brettcontreras.com, one T is Brett. You heard it from the one and only, the glute guy, Red Crontraras, yes? I, I did it good. Yep, got it. <laughs> okay, thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And give me and my audience, my Israeli audience, and uh, the entire world who will uh, benefit from it. So thank you again. My pleasure. My pleasure, Lidor. And uh, my, buddy, my buddy Jordan Syed tells me I need to visit Israel. He says it's beautiful, and he says the women are beautiful too. Yeah. So. <laughs> Once again, thanks for having me on. Thank you very much, man. If you enjoyed this interview or any other one from the Mind Body Podcast, feel free to subscribe to my podcast at iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and at my YouTube channel. Also, feel free to share this podcast on Instagram by tagging the Mind Body Podcast.
Do you want to be a part of the Mind Body podcast? So remember the FAST factor. The FAST factor stands for 1. Facebook. Become a part of the Mind Body podcast community by joining our Facebook community just by searching on Facebook the Mind Body podcast community. Number 2. Act. Don't just be a passive listener. Act upon what you've just learned by applying one simple thing from any episode or interview. 3. Subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or if you're visual like me, then just search the Mind Body Podcast on YouTube. And number four, train others. Because just like I always says, leaders create leaders, and you're all here to grow together. And by training others, you're training yourself. So this is the fast factor. Remember it. Facebook, act, subscribe, and train others. Oh, and please feel free to leave a review which will engage all your VAC senses. And the VAC senses stands for visual, auditory, and kinesthetic, which when you use all the three combined, you remember stuff much better. For more information about my coaching, public speaking, and taking your mind and body to all new levels, check my site at lidodayan.com. Till then, never, ever! Forget to smile. See you soon.